Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at I have a passage for you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read it uh, really quick. Paul gives us a synopsis about what Easter is all about. And obviously, I want to talk to you about uh, Easter. If you could turn to your neighbor and say Easter. So verse 3, good job, guys. Uh, turn to your other neighbor. Don't give him a high five. Say amen. All right. Verse 3 says this. And Paul gives us this very detailed exposition on what Easter, resurrection, what the gospel is all about. And he says this in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins accordance, accordance with the scriptures. Verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 5 tells us, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7 says, then he appeared to James, which is the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. And finally, verse 8, Paul says, and last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So we're going to be talking about Easter today. We're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But I want us to, um, I want us to reflect over the last month. I remember it was March 11th. I think it was March 11th. I was with uh, Quincy and Wesley, my oldest set of twins. And we were in our living room. And we were watching uh, an NBA game. And I can't remember what game it was. And uh, in between uh, the, the game, I think it was a commercial Someone announced uh, that uh, the NBA season had been canceled. I remember thinking about it. We wanted to watch Zion Williamson, and we were shocked. I remember my, my boys were, uh, they were like confused. What's going on? And then it was just like this series of cascading events where right after that, Tom and Rita Hanks, uh, they announced, I think, on Instagram that they had tested positive for COVID-19. I think earlier in the day, uh, the World Health Organization declared that COVID-19 was, was at that time now a pandemic. And then you again have this cascading series of events. Two days later, March 13th, the NCAA canceled all the sports, uh, including college basketball. Uh, I've never uh, experienced anything like this before. March Madness was canceled. They canceled sports. And then uh, over the next few days, schools were closed. Restaurants were closed. Uh, Non-essential business uh, people uh, were, were, were uh, summoned to go back to their houses and be quarantined. Major League Baseball postponed everything. Wimbledon, if you love tennis, Wimbledon uh, was canceled. We have Masters, if you love golf, was canceled. Pretty much everything that we love, pretty much everything that we experience in life uh, was canceled in a course of a week. Now, and I think this was yesterday's statistics, 92% of Americans are quarantined at their home. And top it all, um, uh, last week, if you live in Idaho, um, we had a 6.5 on the Richter scale earthquake. I remember I was with um, my two uh, middle 
sets of twins. I can't even remember whatever their names were. I think it's King and Press or something. So I was with them, and I was giving them a bath, and then everything started ro- uh, rolling. And at first I thought it was my, my older set of twins, like, hitting the wall or something. Uh, about three seconds went by, and I realized that we were in an earthquake. So I, I took my naked one-year-olds, ran outside the house, started yelling to all our neighbors that I'm a pastor and everything was going to be okay. And they gave me kind of the weird look, right? So I remember thinking of that moment, we're, guys, we're all going to die. It's over, right? It's over. And I know many of you were probably thinking the same thing if you lived in Idaho. I've got so many texts from that moment asking if we are living in the end of uh, the age. And uh, I don't think we're living in the end of the age. I still feel like God has a lot of great things in store, uh, not only for our country, but for the rest of the world. But this is, this is what I want us to reflect on. So we are now living over a course of a month. I don't know about you, but March feels like um, a whole decade, right? I was hoping on April 1 that we were going to wake up and everyone was going to say this was like an April Fool's joke. But it's not a joke. We are now living in a completely different world. So how do we live in this world? Because right now the world uh, is reeling and stumbling under the weight of this pandemic. Uh, Many of you, in the words of one scholar, are filled, your lives, human life, we'll say it this way, human life is filled with anxious sorrow. Uh, we, We have anxiety about the future. Right? We have anxiety about our bodies now. We, we have anxiety about sickness in hospitals. Uh, we have anxiety about our business, uh, about our families. Right now, we all probably feel um, lost and confused and afraid. So in this present moment, uh, I, I think we're, we're desperate. Maybe you're at home and maybe you're tuning in for the first time or maybe Capital Church is your home. And deep down in your bones, you're like, man, I need something good right? I need a good word. Well, this is what Easter is all about. Easter uh, is all about Jesus saying, all shall be well, right? I'm desperate. I'm sure you're desperate. I just want somebody to come and say, man, we just, can someone just say that some, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out all right, right? Well, this is exactly what Easter is all about. In fact, at the very heart of Easter, and you might think this is unbelievable, and this right now, to be honest, as I'm saying this, seems pretty unbelievable, is a simple command. The very heart of Easter is a simple command. It's not be better. Uh, It's not do more yoga, right? It's not be the best or the better version of yourself. It's not even be holy, right? Uh, The command that we find at the heart of Easter isn't don't sin or don't do this or do that. The answer or the command that we have at Easter is don't be afraid. In fact, uh, Jesus says this over and over and over, fear not to his disciples. In fact, Jesus greets his disciples. Uh, And I've said this many times, and preachers say this all the time, but the most frequent command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is the heart of Easter itself. Now, if I was to build a composite picture of like all the Easter, and these are strange stories, but all the Easter stories found in the gospel, what you would find is kind of this kaleidoscopic experience with emotion. Or we can say, uh, we can say it this way. The disciples experienced this full range of emotion, right? They were perplexed. 
on Easter morning. Uh, they were astonished. They were surprised. Uh, many of them were weeping. Uh, they were m- uh, most definitely afraid. Uh, they locked the doors because they were afraid. Uh, many of them were in anguish. All of them were troubled hearted. We know Peter was a failure in John 21. He basically just gave up. Uh, his life was filled with shame. Um, all of his hopes, all of his hopes had been dashed. I, I'm, I'm sure that many disciples were experiencing uh, depression. And uh, we have Jesus, and I love this about Jesus. Uh, Jesus in this kind of composite gathering of all these pictures of the Easter story, he comes to his disciples and he simply asks them questions. He says, why, why are you troubled, right? Why, why um, are you slow to believe? Why um, are you so afraid? Jesus, in fact, over and over and over, he greets his disciples. Uh, we can find this in Luke and in John's account of Easter morning. Jesus comes to his disciples and doesn't say, man, you, get, you better get your act together. No, what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Shalom. If you don't know anything about shalom, shalom is this idea that all of our relationships with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with creation itself are well-ordered. This is what Jesus announces over his disciples. And one of my favorite things that Jesus does is he invites uh, his disciples to come and have breakfast with him. So it seems like Jesus isn't worried about anything, right? Jesus isn't sweating um, about what's going on. Jesus, it seems like, is in charge. And I think that's good news for us because I think COVID-19 has uh, exposed how we eat and sleep. I know it's done this with me, how we eat and sleep and breathe in fear. I think we're more aware of it. I think we're more aware of the presence of fear in our lives. I, I know we're all afraid at, at some point in our life of being alone. We're afraid of being unloved. We're afraid of being abandoned. We're afraid of being inadequate. We're afraid of being behind. We're afraid of marriage. We're afraid of fragility. Uh, there are so many fears that have beset our lives. And I think prior to COVID-19, I think some of us were aware of those fears. But I think in many cases, we've suppressed fear. And I think what COVID-19 has done is exposed Um, our fear. So what is fear? Well, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that fear is intimately connected to death itself. In fact, one expert, Ernest Becker, said this, all of our activity is designed largely to avoid the fatality of death. I like to make the argument that what fear is, fear is rooted in the big fear. And the big fear is um, the reality, the tragic reality of death itself. Uh, one expert, I can't, I can't remember his name right now. This is what he stated. Death and suffering has been separated from the narrative structure of human life. He's talking about the Western world. It's kind of a noise, right? It's an accidental interference into the drama of the sufferer. Suffering has no intelligible, intelligible relation to any plot in our life except as a chaotic interruption. This is how we've seen death and suffering. In fact, uh, one expert has said that in early America life, life expectancy was, was 40, was the age 40 years old. Like I'm 43 years old, so I'm an old man, right? Uh, one out of three children uh, wouldn't make it into adulthood. In fact, in early America, death was common in homes. Everyone experienced death up close 
and personal. And thank God for medicine and thank God for hospitals. I'm not going to say anything about vaccines, but thank God for technology um, and they're amazing. But the shadow side of technology and medicine is that they have in some ways, hear what I'm saying, in some ways have helped cover up the tragic realities of death itself. In fact, the residual effect of death is that we try to push it out of of sight, right? Out of sight, out of mind. And many people in the Western world have, have pushed death and suffering to the margins. We obsess about success. Now COVID-19 has brought up close and personal the reality of suffering and the possibility of, of death itself. So this new state of affairs has generated this implicit belief or this idea or is exposing this idea that we're infinite or we're not infinite, or we're not immortal, we're not like the gods, right? We're not in charge. So COVID-19 has exposed that in our lives. Ben Franklin, he said this. I think it was Ben Franklin. He said, there are only two incontestable truths, right, in our life. It's death and taxes. I like to add that it's the Dallas Cowboys as well who will never, ever in the future, hear me, Cowboy fans, win a Super Bowl again. Those are three incontestable truths. So fear, and the Bible tells us this very clear, fear is intimately woven into death itself. We fear and we avoid and we deny and we push death and suffering to the, to the margins and we don't think about it uh, as we should. But the Bible makes it very clear in Psalm chapter 91 that it's actually wisdom to number your days. In fact, Moses says this, teach me, O Lord, to number my days. In fact, all, in the words of one expert, all great philosophers from Plato to the existential philosophers agreed that what you think about death and life beyond it is the key to thinking seriously about everything else. Everything related to art and football, marriage and politics and barbecue and good food are only meaningful if we engage the questions of death and suffering meaningfully. And this is what Easter does. It goes to the very heart of who we are. It goes to the very fundamental fear that we have of death and suffering itself. So what is Easter about? How can Jesus say to not be afraid when, Chris, it feels like this whole stinking world, right, is falling apart. How does, how does Easter affect my daily life right now? I, I just got three quick points, and then i like to pray for you. The first point, and Paul makes this very clear in the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus, could you turn to your neighbor? I like to do this. This might be silly, but turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. First, I want to say something about the Gospels, in particular the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, and I've stated this many times before, is structured or is framed around um, this idea or this theme of God being with us. In fact, in chapter 1, we have the Emmanuel passage, and it says that Jesus is the fulfillment of 
God being with us. He is the Emmanuel. This is a 700-year-old promise fulfilled in chapter 1 at the birth of Jesus. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, we find in chapter 28, it says that Jesus, Jesus says this, all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth, and he commissions his disciples to go and teach and baptize everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. So the gospel in Matthew and the four gospels give us or draw a portrait of God not being just around us, God not just somewhere floating out in space, uh, man, a trillion miles away from us. No, we have a promise found in the gospels that God himself is with us us. So here's the thing, man, if God is with us to the very end of the age, man, surely he's with us to the very end of our Monday. Surely he's with us to the very end of our, man, our Wednesday or our time in the hospital or COVID-19 or maybe your financial insecurity. Man, if God is with us to the very end of the age, we have this promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So, so Chris, you might be asking, what, what, does, what does God being with us actually mean? Well, it's funny because there's a lot of, in, in the ancient world, there was a lot of speculative philosophy that painted a portrait of God as the unmoved mover, right? He's frozen in time. He's indifferent to us. He's cold. Uh, in fact, one um, philosopher said this, heaven does not speak, nor does it hear what people say. This is kind of the idea that was floating around. It was a dominant idea floating around about God. God just kind of is in the cosmos somewhere, right? Thinking about thinking, right? Kind of this divine narcissist, doesn't really care about other people. Even in Greek speculative uh, mythology, the gods were radically indifferent um, to the needs and to the affairs of, of human life. What we have in the gospel is a, a portrait of what God is like. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this. What we find is that Jesus, he weeps with us. We find this in John chapter 11. We also find that Jesus in John 6 and Mark chapter 6 is moved with compassion for the people. So much so, he takes five loaves and two fish or something like that, right? And he breaks it and uh, he feeds uh, up to 10,000 people. What we find is that God is with us, and that means God weeps with us. God laments with us. God is with us in our sorrow. God meets us. The God who is filled with inexhaustible love, who is uh, defined by absolute fullness, who stands over creation itself, meets us in our sin, our failure, our shame, our grief, our pain, even in death. We have this beautiful promise in Jesus that he is with us. In fact, he's not, the, he's not the unmoved mover. He is the most moved mover who loves his people. Uh, a couple nights ago, uh, we were, man, we were trying to figure out a show to watch with my older two boys. And uh, this is one of my all-time favorite um, shows. I recommend it to everybody. Uh, it's called Finding Bigfoot, right? I'm a Bigfoot guy. And so this is the first time. It's kind of a little scary, but it's, you know, it's, it's good for eight-year-olds, I think. And so uh, this is the first time my sons watched this um, Finding Bigfoot episode or this TV show with me. We watched a couple episodes. We started, we were upstairs in our room. My son Quincy, he was in the middle of the room, and I was kind of in the back, and I was kind of just um, working. We were actually playing Monopoly, so we were doing a lot of different things. Um, 
halfway through the first episode, Quincy moved all the way next to me. And I remember I looked at him and I said, son, are you scared? And he looked up at me and says, no, I'm not scared. And in about five minutes, he was on my lap, right? And, uh, and in that moment, I realized that what he needed from me was my presence, right? Uh, he could handle this Finding Bigfoot episode, right, and all the scary stuff just by being close to me. I, I'm his dad, right? I work out. I know you probably were thinking about this the whole time, right? I'm in shape, right? I can handle stuff. I can handle earthquakes and naked babies, right? right. Anyways, um, I don't even know why I said that. But I'm his father, and just by being with him in that moment, Q was able to watch the rest of the episode. So don't judge me about watching Finding Bigfoot, but, the, but this is the promise, right? And this is the reality that um, just as I was with my son, so God in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit is with us. Amen. And not only is God with us, we find that Jesus went all the way to the cross. And this is what Paul says, that Christ died for our sins, right? COVID-19, I think, makes it very clear that we all need to be saved, right? I hope you're thinking that maybe we all need to be rescued. The Bible tells us that every human heart, woven into every human heart, uh, is uh, the reality and the presence of evil itself. Like everyone in, you're listening to me, but everyone in this world needs rescued from sin. Sin has deformed our hearts. Sin has defaced us, right? Sin has tragically um, caused our relationship with our Father um, to become uh, in an alienated state. Uh, this is the story that the Bible tells us. But what we have is that Jesus goes all the way to the cross because he's God with us. And he stands in for us, takes our sin, our shame, our failures, our frustrations, our pain, draws it on himself and defeats it. Like some of you are maybe thinking about, hey, I don't, man, I don't know if, if I believe you, Chris. Like, what, you, you telling me we all have issues? I think we, got, we all have issues. So you telling me that woven in the fabric of my heart is this thing you called sin? So you might be asking the question, okay, Chris, what is sin? I, I just like to say that sin is a temptation to virtue. And I want to explain this really quick. Sin is... It's, um, it's rooted in, in unreality. I want to give you an example. My one-year-olds, so I've been with them 24-7 for the last 23 days, and it's been absolutely horrifying. Just kidding. It's been amazing. I love my kids. But my, my one-year-old boys, they have found their scream, and if you're a parent here, you, you can probably relate to this. So they, it's funny, they, they live in this unreality about the limits of their power. They think that when they scream, if there's something that they don't like and they scream, that that scream is like magic, right? It's like filled with omnipotence. They, they, you can see it in their eyes, guys. You might think I'm making this up, but I can see it in their eyes. I know my boys. They think they are first in creation and that their scream is filled with omnipotence and that I am as their dad or their person supposed to do everything that they want, right? That 
that first in creation that I am in charge of everything, right? This unreality that my boys have when it comes to the limits of their power is really at the heart of sin. Sin is overreach. Sin is assuming, man, we're infinite, we're gods, we're immortal, we're in charge. And if you're not careful, that then begins to tragically dislocate all of life. It's Jesus who goes all the way to the cross and sets us free from our sin. So God is a good God, and he's a God that's with us, and he loves us. Number two, really quick, um, Jesus, Paul tells us, died on the cross for our sins, and then he came back from the dead. He was buried, and then he came back from the dead. So what does that mean? Well, let me just say this really quick. Christianity is not, it's not good advice, right? It's not a set of propositions. It's not speculative theology. It's not um, an offer of therapeutic like spirituality. No, Christianity, the Christian story, the good news that Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that we have good news that Jesus is risen from the dead. See, see resurrection has always been the rock bottom reality for every Christian, not heaven. Resurrection does not mean that we fly off to heaven to some disembodied place, non-temporal spatial place that we play like disembodied harps on disembodied clouds. Uh, That's not what resurrection is about. Resurrection is not a heaven movement. Resurrection is a bodily movement. And when we say, when Paul said that Jesus is risen from the dead, what Paul is suggesting is that resurrection is the overthrow of death itself. The Bible doesn't try to re-describe death. The Bible doesn't even try to like domesticate it, tame death. The Bible's very explicit that death itself is the great enemy. Death itself is this great anti-creation force that has defaced all of God's planet. But we have the good news is that Jesus came back from the death uh, from the dead. And what does that mean? It means that death itself has been reversed back on itself. That death has been defeated, not redescribed. In fact, we have a lot of nature religions out there, kind of low-grade uh, religions that are connected to even big, big religions out there that suggest. And they try to re-describe death. But they suggest that in a post-mortem world, like we just simply go back to some vague eternal consciousness, right? Uh, some soupy, we, we become in death a part of some soupy consciousness. It's vague. We become like the rain or we become like the water or we become like, the, like stardust. Um, other religions, big religions, um, assume that in the post-mortem world, there's a thing called the tri- transmigration of the soul, right? Um, you either, in death, you, you become a frog or you become a billionaire, depending on uh, how good you were in your previous life. We have other religions that believe that uh, life after death is like a Gnostic escape. Like, we're all called to leave this, um, this uh a broken world for a disembodied location. And then we have kind of the naturalistic metaphysic option, and this is just basically the secular option that in death there's nothing. There's the annihilation of our bodies. These are options that we have that, that big religions over time have offered in terms of showing us what death is like. But we got good news is that Jesus himself came back from the dead, reversed death itself, turned death back on itself, Jesus, his body was re-embodied, given new physical 
properties, and now Jesus reigns in heaven. So how does that relate to our life? Well, this, this, this means in very meaningful ways that Jesus is transforming our world and will eventually transform our bodies. So much so that we do not have to be afraid. Death has lost. Death has been overthrown. Death has been defeated. Finally, number three, the resurrection of Jesus. When we say Jesus is risen from the dead, every Christian understood that that meant that Jesus is now king over all of creation, which means this. Jesus is not king wannabe. Jesus is not uh, king elect. Jesus is not um, king of like interstellar space. No, the resurrection tells us that Jesus is in charge. In fact, Matthew chapter 28 tells us, as Jesus came back from the dead, goes to his disciples and he says this. This is provocative, I know, but he tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is in charge of all things. Please hear me today. Jesus is not worrying about the future. Jesus is not overwhelmed somewhere out in the cosmos trying to figure out a plan to get us out of COVID-19. Jesus is in charge of this pandemic. Jesus, yes, is in charge of your life. Jesus is in charge of all things. And because Jesus is with us, and because he is the king of all creation, we do not have to be afraid. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I don't know how to not be afraid, right? What I'm not saying, what Jesus is not saying you, is that you can never feel fear or feel panic or feel anxiety. What Jesus is saying is that resurrection runs so deep. It's deeper than anything. It's more powerful, more subversive, more explosive than anything in human history that you don't have to let fear define you, to shape you. Jesus loves you. Please hear me. Jesus is in charge. Jesus has reversed death. And Jesus is making all things new in this world. If you could do this one quick thing for me, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes at home, I just want to pray really quick. You might be saying, Chris, I've, man, this is like the first time in my life that I've been thinking about God, right? I've been thinking about like my life and the afterlife and all this kind of stuff, and I'm afraid and uh, I'm scared, and I, I, I think I, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've been in church, and maybe you're not no longer going to church. But you, you in this moment, you would say, Chris, I want to follow. Jesus. I want to give him my life. If that's you, uh, I just want you to repeat this little prayer after me. It's just, it's not magic. Um, it's just, it's an invitation um, to let Jesus come in and, and take charge of your life. So if you could repeat this after me, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you that you went to the cross. I thank you that you're good. And I thank you that you're in charge. And I thank you that you died for me. And I thank you that you took my sin and my shame. And in that act, you brought healing to my life. So I just thank you for your love. 
and your grace. In Jesus' name, take my fear, take my anxiety. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, I guarantee it's the best decision that you've ever made. Jesus is real, and he wants to do a fresh work in your life. I want to pray one last time. If you're, if you're a part of Capital Church, you're part of another church, or whatever your story is, you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you know that the last month you've been really affected by fear. I want to pray for you. Uh, maybe you're just, your heart is overwhelmed with anxiety. You're trying to figure things out. Maybe you're financially insecure. Maybe you're trying to figure out things regarding uh, your health, whatever it might be. I'd just like to pray for you right now. Dear Jesus, Lord, I just thank you today because we have this sure foundation. Lord, this rock-solid foundation that Jesus is indeed risen. And because of that, I thank you that we no longer have to be afraid. I thank you that perfect love casts out all fear. And I just ask that everyone at home listening to this would sense your presence, would know that you are with them. Lord, help all of us to reframe uh, our reality around Jesus coming back from the dead. Let Jesus and his resurrection and the story of Easter and the cross, the gospel itself, become the foundation piece of our lives. Lord, we just love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And everyone at home said, amen. God bless you. Love you. Can't wait to see you in person. We're praying for you this week, and we're praying for a blessed week. Amen. Amen.